It's really good to have everyone here today. Over the past few weeks, we've been talking about the different passages in the Bible. Oh, by the way, I'm Alex. Um, I'm on the team here, and uh, it's lovely to see you. Um, last few weeks, we've been talking about the one another passages in the Bible. There's about 100 of them in the New Testament. About 100 of them in, New Te- in the New Testament, where it talks about how we as a community can work together, how we can love each other. So far, we've talked over the last few weeks about how to love one another, how to serve one another, and how to be devoted to one another. And this week, we're going to look at why it's so crucial to forgive one another and how to actually go about doing that forgiveness. But before I do, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your presence here today. Lord, I thank you that you have first forgiven us on the cross. I thank you for that free gift, that amazing gift of forgiveness. And I pray, Lord, you bless this morning. I pray, let it not be my words, but yours. In Jesus' name, amen. So the Christian author and um, priest, Henry Newham, has talked about community and forgiveness. And he says, community is not possible without the willingness to forgive one another. 77 times, which in Bible sort of code means a lot of times. Um, Forgiveness is the cement of community life. Forgiveness holds us together through good times and bad. And it allows us to grow in mutual love. And that sounds right in my heart. That sounds right to me. And I think it sounds right for any community, and particularly the church community. I'm going to look now at what the Bible says about forgiveness. What does it specifically say? I think forgiveness, if we, just before we look at specific passages, as I prayed, I think forgiveness is the cornerstone of Christian faith. Jesus came to bring forgiveness. Before Jesus, people would do something wrong, they'd commit a sin, and they would, um, the Israelites at least, would need to sacrifice something, whether that was a dove or a pigeon or a lamb, some sort of sacrifice to atone for whatever sin they committed. When Jesus came, he said, no, I will be that sacrifice. And on the cross, he forgave all of our sins, the big, the small, the past, and the future ones. And then on the third day when he rose, he gave us hope for a new life now and a new life for eternity. So it really is the cornerstone of our faith, the idea of forgiveness. But let's look into a couple of passages. Matthew 18, 21 to 22, if we can get that up. Perfect, thank you. Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. That code again for lots. And then in Paul's letter to Colossians, chapter 3, the following, Paul says the following. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, 
clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. You see, we can forgive as an act of will. We can try really hard to forgive, and often that, that's fine. But actually, the deepest forgiveness comes as a reaction, as a response to the forgiveness we've received through Jesus. And for me, the most powerful parable in the Bible about forgiveness, in fact, my favorite parable, is the parable of the, the prodigal son. And we're going to hear that being read by the wonderful Ronan from our, from our um, youth group, who's going to come and read for us. If you did want to read along, it's Luke 15, 11 to 32. If we could have the next slide, Josh. Yeah, do you want to pop that one there? Perfect. Then Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. The younger son said to his father, Give me now the part of property that I'm supposed to receive some day. So the father divided his wealth between his two sons. A few days later, the younger son gathered up all that he had and left. He traveled away, he traveled away to another country, and there he wasted his money living like a fool. After he spent everything he had, there was a terrible famine throughout the country. He was hungry and needed money, so he went to get a job with one of the people who lived there. The man sent him into the fields to feed pigs. He was so hungry that he wanted to eat the food the pigs were given, but no one gave him anything. The son realized that he had been very foolish. He thought, all my father's hired workers have plenty of food, but here I am, almost dead because I have nothing to eat. I will, live and go to, I, will, I will leave and go to my father. I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against God and have done wrong to you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son, but let me live like one of your hired workers. So he left and went to his father. While the son was still a long way off, his father saw him coming and felt sorry for him. So he ran to him and hugged him and kissed him. The son said, Father, I have sinned against God and have done wrong to you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Hurry, bring me the best clothes and put them on him. Also, put a ring on his finger and good sandals on his feet. And bring the best calf and kill it so that we can celebrate with plenty to eat. My son was dead, but now he is alive again. He was lost, but now he is found. So they began to have a party. The oldest son had been out in the field when he came near the house. He heard the sound of music and dancing. So he called one of the servant boys and asked, what does all this mean? The boy said, your brother has come back and your father has killed the best calf to eat. He is happy because he has his son back safe and sound. The older son was angry and would not go into the party. So his father went out and begged him to come in. But he said to his father, look, for all these years, I have worked like a slave for you. I have always done what you have told me to do, and you have never even given me a young goat for a party with my friends. But then, this son of yours come home after wasting your money on prostitutes, and you kill the best calf for him. His father said to him, Oh, my son, 
You are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But this was a day to be happy and celebrate. Your brother was dead, and, but now he is alive. He was lost, but now he is found. So much, Ronan. Can we get a round of applause for Ronan, please? That was beautiful. Well done. I love that parable. For those of you who are new to um, church or the Bible, a parable is a story that tries to say something bigger than, than is suggested. And I'll unpack that a little bit now. Um, I've put these pictures up, by the way, because I think they're stunning. They're by an artist called Charlie Mackesy, and they're, um, they're pictures of the prodigal son or a prodigal daughter. And I just think the posture of the father and the loving embrace is just incredibly powerful and speaks so much of God's love. Looking at the parable, I think there's a bit of all of us, a bit of each of the characters in all of us. There's the, the jealous brother. I think we all can get a bit jealous. We can all uh, maybe love God with our head a bit more than our heart. I think we are all sometimes the prodigal son or daughter who steps away deliberately from the Lord and moves into sin or just steps away from, from worship, steps away from the loving father. And I think we also have the capacity to be the father too, to forgive. You know, that picture of forgiveness running to the son who has committed a really deep, deep sin and offense to the father. It's like any of us, uh, one of our children, if we have children, or going to one of our parents and saying, do you know what, uh, I just want half my inheritance. Now, you're kind of dead to me, don't really want to see you again, I just want the money. And then going off and living the fast life. That would cause deep upset now, and it would have caused deep upset then. And when we step away from the Lord, that's the same upset we cause to the father. So when we hear about the father waiting, seeing the son, and then running to him, embracing him, putting a robe around him, sandals on his feet and a ring on his finger, the forgiveness is instant. And it's beautiful. But you see, we are all, as I said, the prodigal son or daughter and the other brother, we all at times go astray. And we need to come back to the loving Father. He's always waiting with outstretched arms, ready to welcome us back when we repent and turn to him. See, in the book of Isaiah, in the Old Testament, we're told, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He has laid on Jesus the sin of all of us to then be able to forgive all of us. You see, when we take a good long look in the mirror and we think about forgiveness, when we take a good long look, we are all broken vessels. We are all beautiful. We are all loved, created for a purpose, children of God, but we are also all sinful. And so when we think about that, maybe we're not so different to the person who's committed whatever offense it might be. And maybe in that place, that place of humility, that place of forgiveness, when it becomes a part of our life, when it becomes embedded in our DNA to forgive, maybe the church can then show the world a different way to live, a more forgiving, a more loving way to live. 
But speaking of the world, what does the world say about forgiveness? Well, recently, about, I say recently, probably seven or eight months ago, Ravi, I don't know if Ravi's here, but Ravi and I went to a, a set of talks um, by a group called Youthscape, and they're looking at how young people experience the world, looking at all different aspects. And one of them was how young people experience um, the online world, sort of crossover between the physical, the real, and the, well, I don't know if real is the right word anymore, but the tangible and the digital. And they, I think they interviewed about 100, 120 young people, and there was one quote that came up um, that they said summed up a lot of the discussion, and it's this one on the screen. The quote was, it's harder now because of all the things surrounding social media. That pressure to sort of keep the stereotype, it's very tight and precise. I mean, sure, you see everywhere that everyone is accepting this diversity and everything, but actually, social media is really toxic, and it's been really hard. There's people judging you for the smallest of things, obsessing over filters. And that quote suggests that judgment, maybe even vitriol, are more important than forgiveness, particularly online, when it's easier to be anonymous. And then another article, well, there's been a study actually in a, a website called Vox, has looked at forgiveness in the Western world, particularly the US. And a quote jumped out of that to me that says, by Elizabeth Bruning. As a society, we have absolutely no coherent story, none whatsoever, about how a person who's done wrong can atone, make amends, and retain some continuity between their life or identity before and after the mistake. Now, these are not coming from sort of Christian people. These are coming from the world, these quotes. And I think we can all think of examples in the press where people have done something stupid, said something stupid. And even when they've said sorry, more often than not, forgiveness is not given out. And I think that's really hard. I think judgment, at the moment, at least in the press, online, often trumps forgiveness, even when there's repentance. And I think the church, as I said, has something to say about this has something to show that is different to what the world says. We can be a community that of course seeks justice, but we also can seek repentance, forgiveness, and reconciliation. But what does it actually look like? What does all this look like in a church setting? Well, I think we've probably all been offended by someone in church. Maybe someone hasn't responded to an email or a text. Maybe you haven't been chosen to be in a group or invited, or maybe someone jumped in and got two pieces of pizza and you didn't get any. Just saying. <laughs> um, or maybe someone stood up at fr in the front of church and said something that really annoyed you. Hopefully not. Um, there's lots of ways we can be offended in church, and I certainly have been, but I've probably, I know actually, I've caused other people offense. We often are offended and we often create the offense in church and it's normally unintentional this stuff it's not normally deliberate I mean, of course sometimes it might be but most often i believe it's unintentional from my experience but how do we actually go about forgiving these kind of smaller to mid-level offenses particularly in a church setting i think all forgiveness 
deepest forgiveness starts at the same point. Turn to Jesus. Turn to him with the first step. Engage with God in prayer, in reading the Bible, in worship. Seek his face. Wash yourself in his love. And then from that place, we move to the second step. Let the Holy Spirit into the pain and the offense. Let the Holy Spirit break down any anger, any pain, any resentment. Let the Holy Spirit in. And let's, let the Holy Spirit tell you how loved and protected you are. Let's allow the Holy Spirit to soften our hearts. And then the next step, I believe, is to show, allow the Holy Spirit to show us our own brokenness, as well as the other person's. Our humanity, their humanity. Our beauty, their beauty. Our brokenness and silliness, their brokenness and silliness. And then the final step of forgiveness, I think, becomes a little easier when the Holy Spirit's at work in us, working out, softening our heart, letting us see the other person in the same light as ourselves. And then the final step Let's do something about it. Make a deliberate action. Pray for that person. Maybe after church, say, hey, let's have a chat. Not about necessarily the offense, but just get to know them. Because more often than not, when you do, you realize they're just human. And it becomes so much easier to forgive. I think I, meant, I did mention a few weeks ago um, about a situation in my old church in Australia. A guy came up to me and said, um, Alex, can I have a word? And I said, yeah, sure. And he said, Alex, I, um, can I ask for your forgiveness? And I was like, yeah, okay. Um, depends what you've done. But yes, of course. Um, and he said, I just uh, feel really convicted because I just don't like you. Uh, <laughs> and I've got a reason not to like you, but I just don't. And I'm sorry. Can you forgive me? And <laughs> I'm a bit like, there's a lot in that. But yeah. <laughs> But yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> and actually, we, you know, bless him, we went out and we had coffee and we went over to his house and they threw us lunch a few weeks ago, a few weeks later, and we became, you know, quite good friends. But it took that step, and that's a bold step to say that to someone, but it took that step. And it doesn't have to be as kind of um, heavy-handed or, or kind of big as that. It can just be saying hello or praying for them. Take a step. And then I think we can, and the more we do this, make forgiveness a way of life. In Ephesians 4.32, we're told, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. And it then begins to seep into our DNA, I think, the act of forgiveness, seeing the other person in the same light as ourselves. Now, so far, I've talked about forgiveness for things which are not too big. But I'm really aware that in this room, there will be people who have been through um, really dif difficult things. And forgiveness is a much, much more difficult process. It might be that someone has done something to you, or maybe it's forgiving yourself. But for these deeper things... There is a much longer process, I believe.
and I really don't want to trivialize these, so I do want to address this. I mean, I think with these things, forgiveness can take months, maybe even years. And from experience and trying to learn from a few Christian counselors that I know, it starts at the same place as we just looked at, engage with the Lord. Just start there. In worship, in reading the Bible, in prayer, engage with the Lord. Allow the Holy Spirit into the pain. And just just start there. He is our rock, our fortress, deliverer. Beneath his wings we can find shelter when we allow the Holy Spirit in. And then when we do that, I do believe peace can replace fear and anger. And gentleness and love can replace or begin to speak into the pain. Now, some of you may have heard of someone called Corrie Ten Boom. She was a um, prisoner of war in the Second World War. Her and her family were arrested in Holland for hiding Jews, and they were taken to Ravensbrück um, concentration camp. And she talks about forgiveness in these terms. It was in a church in Munich that I saw him a balding, heavyset man in a grey overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. People were filing out of the basement room where I'd just spoken. It was 1947. I'd come from Holland to defeated Germany with the message that God forgives. And that's when I saw him, working his way forward against the others. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, the next a blue uniform and a visored cap with a skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor. The shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me. Ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. And this man had been a guard during the Nazi, um, at Ravensbrück concentration camp, where we had been sent. You mentioned Ravensbrück in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. No, he didn't remember me. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian. And I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there. But I would like to hear it from your, your lips as well. Fraulein, his hand came out. Will you forgive me? As I stood there, I whose sins had every day to be forgiven, but could not. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for asking? It could not have been many seconds that, that we stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed like hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do. But I had to do it, and I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive yours. And still I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion, I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. 
Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand, and that much I can do. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. That story breaks my heart and builds my faith all at the same time. She had been through unimaginable trauma. But in other writings, she talks about leaning on scripture, leaning on prayer to find peace, to find strength through it and after it. She engaged with the Lord in the pain. And then the scriptures were so etched on her heart, she knew them in that moment well enough for them to speak into the moment. And then she took an action. She simply lifted her hand to his. And then in that place, the Holy Spirit met her and brought her the love that she so needed in that moment. And you know, in this story, there, isn't, there is reconciliation, but actually, there doesn't need to be reconciliation for forgiveness. Reconciliation requires forgiveness, but forgiveness doesn't require reconciliation. But when we do engage with the Lord, when he walks us down that path of forgiveness, somehow weight does get lifted from us. The other person is released, and we are released. Healing and freedom do come from forgiveness. It liberates not only other, the other person, but also ourselves. So as I wrap up, in the first category of forgiveness, let's just take that first step, engage with the Lord, seek his presence, try and see the other person as the broken and loved person that we are also. And then, in that place, take an action. Pray for them, say hello to them. Um, grab a coffee with them. Do something to engage with them and see again, in a deeper way, their humanity alongside yours, their brokenness alongside yours. But if you've experienced that second, much deeper category of pain, Maybe just also take that one step. Allow God into the pain. Allow him to meet you there and bring the healing that only he can. And from that place, where the depth of God's love meets the depth of our pain, in that place, I believe he will walk each of us down the long and probably winding road of forgiveness but it all starts with that first step, engage with the Lord. So whether the offense is big or small, let's show the world something different. Let's show the world a community that forgives one another, just as God has forgiven us.